you'll turn your Bibles to Peter on page 1191, it's a two-part reading under the heading False Teachers and Their Destruction. Chapter 2, False Teachers and Their Destruction. We're going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to go across into the next column to, page, uh, to verse 17. But there were also f- false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Verse 17. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. By appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the ways of righteousness and to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. One of the Proverbs are true. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and the sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, thank you as we turn to your word. We ask you to help us to hear it, to understand it, to apply it, to learn, to be corrected, to, Lord, be open to it, to be encouraged by it, to be helped. May we grow more and more like our Lord Jesus and keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, do you like Westerns, the good old Westerns? How did you recognise the bad guys? They had a black hat, didn't they? It was really, 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 it was amazing, wasn't it? Really, when you look back on it, they all had black hats. They all often dressed in black. And you, you knew who they were. They swaggered on. They swaggered, a bit like Presbyterian ministers. They all got a swagger. Look at Carl next time you see him. We've all got a swagger. Different. <laughs> but anyway, they're bad guys. You could tell them. They weren't hard to spot. A bit like gangster movies. You knew who the gangster was. He was slick and whatever. Today it's not so simple to know. Have you noticed that? When you watch movies, you look at the bad guy. And uh, the good guy looks exactly like the bad guy. 
and uh, he swears and he, he's got a smoking habit and he spits and he does all sorts of things. He does bad stuff. He's got a violent temper. He does it, gets angry. It's not easy to do it. We've all mixed it all up. It's not always easy to tell. And really, uh, something similar was happening in Peter's day. The bad guys were not always that easy to tell. So you just needed to make sure you knew a few things. And Peter, as we realise in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, he's dying. This is his farewell message. And he doesn't have a lot of time. And I don't know if you've realised, but if you thumb your finger through 2 Peter, it's not exactly a huge letter. So he's got to the point and he needs to get to the point. And one of the things he needs to tell them before he goes is that there's some bad guys amongst them. And so what are they like? In the first three verses, you see what they are like. There's a whole list of stuff here. They're devious. They are secret in the way they introduce things. They're not very obvious. They come in through the back door. They sneak this stuff in. They say a whole bunch of right things, but then they get lead them to wrong conclusions. Perhaps they quote verse after verse, flip pages, look authoritarian. They introduce changes. That they start denying things you thought were solid. They'll be seriously wrong. But it will be devious. It's not that obvious. You need to watch out. Secondly, it's, he says they are seriously wrong because that's I get that from the term destructive heresies. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty destructive way to be. Uh, no one's doctrine is totally right. I don't know if you've realised that uh, about yourself nor anyone else, and certainly not mine. And But, you know, I might speak from somewhere and you go, why didn't Keith say this? He could have emphasised that. You'll always have those things and you'll probably be right. We're not talking about those things. What we're talking about is someone who is seriously wrong. They cause people to trust in the wrong things, these people that Peter writes about. They lead people astray. They're doing things that are seriously in error. They're destructive. Uh, once uh, I was in, uh, when I was at Tarmor, which is a long time ago, there was a little church not too far away, and uh, it was a little one. You know, little. No, not that little, obviously. Bigger. There were people in it. Uh, and uh, eventually someone in the congregation, a guy, got very influential. And he managed to convince everyone in the congregation, including the guy up the front, the pastor, that he knew best and that the pastor should step down, which he did. And then the other guy took over everything and then started to get up the front and then he told everyone what they ought to be doing from here, one by one, calling them out. 
And lots of people suddenly were upset and destroyed, you know, left and whatever. In the end, he caused so much damage that eventually someone said, you, you need to leave. And they got rid of him. And by the time they got rid of him, the place was basically empty. Very destructive. He didn't build up. Peter says, and he's quite quite adamant here, people says their destiny is also destruction. They're not on God's side and he doesn't hold back. They will get their comeuppance. They are also, he says, strangely popular. Verse 2, many will follow their shameful ways, which is strange. They do the wrong thing, yet they're popular, influential. They have the numbers, and numbers can make it look like they are right. So the numbers is not the thing you look for. Fifthly, they're motivated by greed. He says in verse 3, in their greed, they exploit you with stories they have made up. Now, recently in our own recent history around, we've heard about people and the way that they've run things and the way that they live who are in charge of churches, some of them big ministries. There are plenty of preachers, church men and women down through the ages who have been seduced by the luxury that can be theirs through great power, great influence, and which attracts money. You could say one of the worst things that could happen to a church is you become influential because if you get into a position of power, what happens is you attract the wrong people and they end up getting in the wrong places and that church history does have that. There's no doubt about it down through the ages. These people are motivated by greed, he says. Sixthly, they says they're all, as we read in verse 3, they exploit you with stories they made up. And I think I told the story last week, didn't I? Uh, some of you weren't here. Where I was watching the tele-evangelist, and he was that tele-evangelist. He was a tele-evangelist. And he was telling us the story, and we we're all wonderfully thrilled by his great ministry as he told us how God had taken him to heaven and how he'd gone through heaven and met everyone you'd want to meet. Noah, Adam, Noah, Abraham, anyone? Oh, Isaiah, you jumped Moses. <laughs> Moses, Isaiah, I can't remember. He met Peter. I can't remember who else he met. But anyone, it was very, very clear. He was meeting them all, and as he met them, one by one, meet these people. What would he say? They encouraged him with what? Words of scripture, which he read. And everyone listened to it and said, Amen. And, of course, it was hard not to. When you read scripture, it does make you feel like saying, Amen. But as I tuned, it sort of suddenly worked out, as I told last week, it became obvious as he met this person and that person and this person who said this and that and how we'd all love this. But in the end, the focus was on him. And everyone kept saying, oh, isn't that amen? Amen, brother. Glory to 
And he became the focus of the glory. And I realized he's just, it wasn't just, a, wasn't just an illustration. It wasn't just a, an encouragement of what could happen. It was actually what had happened and how he emerged in it as being the guy, which oh, I haven't done that. Have you done that? Maybe you have. He's got it and no one else has. That makes him quite special. Well, he might be out like the other guy who would say, you know, support my ministry and if you want me to pray for you, write into me. And then there was the photo of there he was with all the letters piled up on the table of all the people, well, they're all tied together in nice little bundles, of all the letters that all the people who have written into him about their prayers. And I noticed the, the letters, you know how, you know, someone sends you a letter, what do you do with it? You open it. You know how they, when you open it, they sort of look really messy? Yeah, these looked very tidy. They were packaged well. They'd never been opened. And then he put his hand on it, on the table, big table around that size, and prayed for the letters and for all the prayers that people had. And everyone, I thought, people are impressed by this. It was very, very clever. Great showmanship. But not really what they, not what was happening was not what they said. Did he really pray for people when he didn't even know what they were doing, what they'd asked for? Well, we've all prayed a bit like that. Lord, we don't know things, you know. But would you get thousands of people to write now? These people will exploit you with their stories with the way they are showy, and Peter warns them about this. And secondly, he says, uh, God knows how to deal with them. It's not easy to talk about this stuff from verses 4 to 16. I admit we didn't even read it, but it's there. God did not spare the angels, so he won't spare them. God, not, God did not spare the ancient world in verse 5, but God protected Noah for God condemned Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6. But verse 9, oh, sorry, the Lord rescued Lot, didn't he, from Sodom. In verse 9, he knows how to rescue godly men. The two go together here. 9b, God knows how to rescue people, but his judgment against these people will not be slow to come. And he holds them, verse 9b, holds them for the day of judgment. God has proved himself in the past. These false teachers' fate is sure, Peter is saying. God's faithfulness, though, to his people is also sure. He will rescue you. I suppose that's the reassuring message of this chapter. I don't know if you've noticed, but it actually feels a bit negative doesn't it, 2 Peter 2? But he wants to make sure that the bad guys don't, you know that the bad guys don't escape God's judgment. 
in the next chapter, he will get to that timing of that, but he wants them to know God's judgment is sure. And thirdly, he says in verse 17 to 22, he says that these guys can't help themselves. They return to their own ways. The bad guys love to make light of all sorts of things. They speak of things they don't really know about, he says. They're bold. They're arrogant. They make all sorts of, verse 12, they are brutes who speak out of ignorance and they do not understand. They have a certain way of operating. They big note themselves, what they know, of their knowledge. They make pronouncements in areas you can't really know. Peter says, watch out. In the end, you might remember chapter 1, verse 5, which had a whole list of the positive things. They are the exact opposite of chapter 1, verse 5, when he told faith, goodness, had knowledge, had self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. These guys are the opposite. They revel in pleasure. They exploit. They seduce. They take. They lead astray. All these things are so damaging to the prey who that happens to, and they prey on the weak. They prey, he says, on the new people who are new to the faith, for they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. In the end, verse 17 to 19 says they are hollow and deceptive. They're like a spring that when you find it, there is no water. They're like mist that actually comes in a hurry, but in the end turns out there's nothing there. They're hollow because they promise freedom, he says, but in this reality they are actually prisoners to the corruption of the world. The things of God are actually unknown to them because the corruption of the world has them. And so there's that phrase, it's a famous one, they are just like dogs returning to eat their own vomit. It's a lovely, it's a lovely phrase to say from the pulpit, usually. It's very pleasant. <laughs> they take up their old habits again and they revel in them. What it means is that they just do the very worst of things that the world offers and they can't stop doing it. Again, they are the opposite of what Peter has encouraged just to be in chapter 1, verse 5. The Lord will judge them. He will judge them most harshly. This is the message. It's not an easy one to give in one sense. It's not exactly positive, you might think. But is it? Is this negative or is this positive? I'd probably say it's a bit of both. I think it is quite positive. God knows how to rescue the godly. So there's a great assurance for us. 
But even when these people are running amok in our world, perhaps even in our church, God knows how to do those things to save his people. The other thing is, isn't it, uh, who's, who, have you ever been a parent? Maybe you've been a parent. Maybe you've been an uncle or an aunt. Uh, and you've had a child in a car park, a young child. Uh, you let them run away, just run in the car park and play because that's what you do now as parents, because you let them be free and to choose, Joyce, as I know you agree with. Let them be free. We don't. We grab them in the car park. You might even say something to them. Don't ever do that again, running out in front of that car. And there's a reason why you do that. You do that because it's so vitally important that they might lose their life. That's what Peter's doing here. It's what we do at times. When you read chapter 2, Peter is harsh, much harsher than I think I've been, and he doesn't hold back. But he does so that we will know, and certainly the people he's writing to will know, who are the bad guys. They love publicity. They love money, power, greed, fame. They love to be seen. They love to be known. They love to have influence. Know them and be aware of them. In the end, how do we guard ourselves from these things? Well, I think one of the things is guarding ourselves with the knowledge that God is in control and that he is able to save us. Secondly, Psalm 119 had told us the certain thing. Did we read Psalm 119? Oh, that's good. Uh, how can a young man keep how can a young person keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We know our Bibles. We know them, we should know them better. We should be on guard. Proverbs 3 had this: trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Peter has encouraged us to be committed to pursue faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Once we know that, we must hear that being encouraged up the front by those people who influence. If we start to hear other things which cause certain things to be, I thought that was what we did, then we need to be aware. If we do those things that Peter said, he says, will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, Scripture is full of all sorts of things and here we're being warned by Peter as he warned uh, the people who he was writing to and as you've warned us through the preservation of your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom. Our world is full of so many people saying so many things, and many of them are fairly impressive. Numbers are impressive.
All sorts of things can be impressive, but Father, we pray that what we is we need to be impressed by is you, your Saviour, your Word, and the things that you encourage us to do. We pray for good leaders. We pray for godly leaders in our nation, but most of all in the church. We ask, Lord, that you would raise up godly leaders. Help us to be godly people. Help us to have more faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, humility, we might add, and love. Lord, we pray for these things. We ask that you produce them in us and in our world. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen.